Good morning again. Let's pray and then jump into First John. So, Father, the name of Jesus is our only hope, our only defense, our only righteousness. The name of Jesus is our only power, our only claim. And so, Father, forgive us because we want to think of other names. We want to look for other power. We want to make ourselves righteous. We want to work and cover ourselves with fig leaves. And Father, it's so empty because Jesus has gone to the cross. He's gone to the grave. He's risen. He's conquered. He's at your right hand to intercede for us. You've stamped his righteousness over our lives. Oh, Father, help us to have no other name that we would look to, no other name we would run to for refuge, Father. Grant us that. Turn us back over and over again to Jesus and only Jesus for our hope. Father, I pray for those in this room that they will hear this simple message. They will know that you have borne witness to your Son. And they will know that the only ability of life, the only life comes from knowing Him. From believing in Him. From putting the weight of their life and all that they are on top of Him, God. And I pray if there is any that don't know you today, unblind their hearts. Show them the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 John uh, chapter 5, we're kind of entering the home stretch. John has transitioned to his conclusion. He's got two pillars that were pretty central to what he's trying to do. God is light. And if that's who God is, that's who his people are. So we're to live in the fullness of light, the fullness of life. God is love. And since we are so deeply, so extravagantly, so richly loved, the only possible response is to live a life marked by extravagant, rich, sacrificial love. And now he's transitioned into the conclusion where he's winding it down. He's nailing down his purpose. Um, He's encouraging the faithful to stay faithful. He's encouraging the faithful that if you have this Jesus with his majesty and with his glory, you have it. Don't go anywhere else. Don't be pulled away from it. And so let's look at it in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. This is the one, Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made God a liar. Or God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this is the life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. So let's look at it. God has given, us sufficient, God has given sufficient witness to his son. God has given us a sufficient witness to his son. Let's look at that first step. Jesus' ministry, death, and spirit... Give a unified witness to his authenticity. Jesus' ministry, his death, and spirit give a unified witness to his authenticity. From time to time, you know, reports will come back from the kids at school that a couple of kids got in a little tussle, a little 
Somebody, got, somebody hit somebody, somebody slapped somebody, somebody kicked somebody, you know. And so those poor administrators got to go figure out what happened. So what do they do? How credible is the person that's telling me this? Right? They know the kids better than we think. Or maybe they look at, were there any physical evidence? Were there any marks? Were there any bruises? Was, you know, were there any scratches? And then, like, the really important one, did anybody see this happen? Were there any eyewitnesses that can tell us exactly what happened? And then if you really are good at it, maybe you can get a confession out of somebody. Right? How, how do we know what happened? We go by the evidence. God has given us abundant, sufficient, overwhelming, massive evidence to the glory and the truth of who his son Jesus is. The only problem is this. Our unbelief is not an evidence problem. If we can convince people of all the facts, and if we can lay out our case, and we can bring in eyewitnesses, their hearts will still be blinded. See, our lostness is not a condition of ignorance only. There's certainly a part of that. Our lostness is a condition of blindness. Nonetheless, and and do not ever think that you get to put Jesus on trial, okay? Jesus is God, and he does not answer to our courts. But in his earthly life, he did choose to bring evidence to the courtroom. Because there were a group of people, and I'm taking all these from John, there were a group of people that came and said, Jesus, you bear witness about yourself. You're giving testimony about yourself. That's not true. And Jesus is like, well, it's still true. But let me give you a few witnesses since you asked. John chapter 1, John the Baptist, in the visible evidence of the Holy Spirit, bears witness about Jesus. John chapter 5, Moses, the one that everybody in that age trusted in, the one that all the Pharisees believed in, the one they all wanted to go back to, Moses testified about me. The Old Testament, the scriptures that were available at the time, testified about Jesus. And he said they bore witness to him. The miraculous works of Jesus bear witness about Jesus. John chapter 5 and John chapter 10, those show up. The Father bears witness about Jesus. John chapter 8. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. John chapter 15, John chapter 16. The apostles who were with Jesus from the beginning bear witness about Jesus. John chapter 15, 1 John chapter 1, John chapter 17. So, okay, you don't want to take my witness, that's fine. Let me lay out the case. There's this overwhelming string of witnesses, string of eyewitnesses, string of God the Father choosing to bear witness to His Son in a way that is undeniable. You must do something with Jesus. And I can't convince you of that. John is going to lay out the facts, and they're facts whether you like them or not or believe them or not. But those facts aren't going to convince you. The Holy Spirit will have to unblind you and show you Jesus and show you his gospel. That's what I pray will happen. And that's what I pray will happen as you talk to your friends and your family and your coworkers and and the people in South Asia, is that God will unblind hearts. That's what we're praying for. So look at it as we jump in. It's really a simple passage. And so that's good news because we have a pretty tight day, didn't we? It's a really simple passage. First part of the passage, God has borne witness and it's more than sufficient. And he lists out who those witnesses are. He calls them onto the scene. Second part of the passage, believe it and you have life. Don't believe it and you remain in death, separated from God forever. 
And that's the fact. It's not meant to scare you. It's not meant to preach hellfire and brimstone. It's meant to tell you the facts and the reality as it is. But you can know all the facts and still not know Jesus. So I'm praying that you will know Jesus. And I'm praying if you do know Jesus, these facts would be wonderfully, beautifully worshipful upon your hearts as you see them. So let's look. He says, this is the one who came by water and by blood. In eight or nine times in this passage, the word testify or bear witness shows up. So eight or nine times, testify. Three times, believe. Six verses. Four times, life. What does that mean the passage is about? It's pretty obvious, even for people like me. God has borne witness about his son. If you believe that witness, you will have life. Life in its fullness. Life in its eternal, God-like quality. That's what the the result of faith is. That's the result of having Jesus is. And so let's look at it. They came by water, or he came by water and by blood. What in the world is he talking about? I don't have time to go through all the other views, so I'm going to just give you what I believe is the best view. The other ones aren't really that great. And so uh, I'm going to give you the, the view that I think is best. And so when we're talking about water, we are talking about the baptism of Jesus, possibly the earthly life of Jesus from John chapter 3, you know, you got to be born of water physically and spirit spiritually. But probably his baptism. And so he was born of water. He was baptized. So what is his baptism? How does his baptism an eyewitness to who Jesus is? That's the question, right? Because he's saying these are witnesses to Jesus. They're witnesses to his glory. They're witnesses to his majesty. How is it that his baptism is an eyewitness personally declaring from God who he is? Well, I don't think it's just his baptism. I think it's his baptism that inaugurates a life. A life of ministry, a life of miracles, a life of power. But even his baptism, do you remember the voice of the Father speaking from heaven? When he came up out of the water, the, the Holy Spirit in physical form, like a dove, came down on Jesus. And the Father spoke out of heaven audibly for people to hear, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Witness. I am bearing witness, this is my Son. He's different. Listen to him. But then think about his life. Supernatural miracles filled it up. John said, if I wrote down everything Jesus did in his earthly life, the world couldn't contain the books. They bear witness to him. His works bear witness to him. Think about him. You ever watch the meteorologists? They're different in Savannah. They're not not quite the same level as they are in Atlanta. I guess Atlanta's the step up. All right, so these meteorologists, they get up there and they tell us the weather. Do you know what they don't do? They don't go stand out on the shores of Savannah when the hurricane's coming and say, stop. You ever seen them do that? That'd probably be crazy. I mean, I see them holding their hats and they're in their raincoats and the signposts are coming by them. I don't see them saying, stop. You know who said stop in the eye of a hurricane or in the front of a storm? Jesus. The only one that has power over creation is the creator himself. He bears witness by having power over creation. And what about the demonic realm? Goes up, what's your name? Get out. And even his disciples, whom he gave power over the spirits too, there were ones they couldn't cast out. And they're like, Jesus, why couldn't we cast them out? And Jesus like, go. He has power over the demonic realm, power over creation. His miracles alleviate the fall all around him and heal sicknesses and diseases. Witness, witness, witness. This is the Son of God. Listen to him. Water, the baptism and earthly life of Jesus, bear witness that is undeniable to who he is. 
and then blood. You might guess what that one is. His death and resurrection. See, in the Bible, they never just talk about one or the other. So when Paul's talking about the cross of Christ, he's talking about the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. When he's talking about the resurrection of Christ, he's talking about the death of Christ too. So what bears witness to Jesus? The cross. The it is finished. The atoning work of Jesus completed in his death, followed by his resurrection to prove everything was true. It bears witness. And how did the Father say, this is a witness? Middle of a sunny day goes completely black dark. Bearing witness. When he cries out at the cross, it is finished, which we just sang. When he cries that, cries that out, do you know what happens? This hardened Roman soldier that had killed who knows how many hundreds or thousands of people in his life cries out truly, this must have been the Son of God. Witness. And as he gives up his spirit and he dies, he, it's not taken from him, he gives it up, the veil of the temple is torn in two. Now we're not talking about like your curtains at home that you kind of see through and they're real pretty. We're talking about like a two foot thick, massive curtain screening off the temple. And he dies and it tears. Witness. Access to God is available. Witness. He has just accomplished on the cross. Witness. You know what else happened? This is an account we don't read as much, like in Matthew. Dead people got up out of their graves and walked around Jerusalem and showed themselves to people. Witness. And so by his life and his ministry and his baptism and his death and his resurrection, there is this undeniable testimony. Here's Jesus. Listen to him. You must do something with Jesus. You must do something with Jesus. Not your mom. Not your dad, the pastor. Not your granddaddy, the pastor. Not your uncle, the deacon. You must do something with Jesus. And don't you dare patronize him. Oh, he's such a good teacher. I think highly and respect this man, Jesus. Don't do that. C.S. Lewis did that great uh, three options for who Jesus is for you. He's a liar. Like on epic proportions, his claims were so outrageous that if they were not true, he would be a pathological liar. Or he's a lunatic. He should be in the padded room with a straitjacket kind of lunatic. Or he is the sovereign Lord who is exactly who he claimed to be. Those are your options. And you must do something with this Jesus. It's that undeniable. You don't get to sidestep it. You don't get to brush it off. You get to reject it and remain apart from him. Or by the spirit and the gospel, you get to believe it. But there is no other option. This is showing us Romans 1 kind of stuff. Our lostness suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. It is not that any lost person on earth does not know that there is a glory and a majesty and a holiness and a beauty to God. It's they choose to hate that and worship something in his place. We have a witness. And we also have the Holy Spirit, he says. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. The Holy Spirit is the one who will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who will show the glory of Jesus, John 15 and 16 and parts of 17. The Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit is the one who will give you power to be his witness. And so the Holy Spirit bears witness. His life bears witness. We have three eyewitnesses, which Deuteronomy 19 says, on two, the evidence of two or three witnesses shall any matter be established. It is the, what is required for any serious court offense whatsoever. And we have it. 
And we have more than that. We have three witnesses, and they all agree with each other. He uses a little bit of an argument from greater to lesser. Like you're sitting in a courtroom, you're on a jury, two eyewitnesses come in, they say the exact same thing, they're credible. What do you do? You believe them. He's like, well, if you would believe two men, then when God brings his eyewitnesses in and bears witness to his son, how much more would we believe God when he's sitting in the courtroom bearing witness? And so that's how he walks through the text. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, and this is the testimony concerning his son. Now, he does take a little swipe at the false teachers. He didn't just come by water. See, the false teachers were like, okay, this Jesus, the man, and the God, the Christ, those were different. And then when he was baptized, God kind of came on him in some mystical way. And then when the cross came, he kind of jumped off and left him again. It wasn't by his life only that God bore witness to God the Son. It was by his life all the way through to his death and resurrection that God bore witness about his Son. So what will you do with Jesus Unbelief is not an evidence problem. I hope that helps you because, you know, you've got friends that are lost. You've got family members you're praying for or family members you're trying to witness to. You've got people at school you're trying to witness to. And you're like, if I can just, if, I must have failed to share the gospel clearly enough. I must not have had the right tool or method. I must not have given them enough facts. I must not have won the argument. So you can be free of that because their lostness isn't an ignorance or an, an evidence problem. Their lostness is a blindness problem. And so what it can lead you to do is walk in the Spirit and beg for the Spirit to unblind them with the gospel. Because no amount of facts is ever going to fix it. By his life, his ministry, by his death, and by his Spirit, God has said, this is my Son. He is authentic. He is to be believed. He is God the Son. The second thing we see, our response to God's witness determines if we enter the fullness of life. Or remain in death. Our response to God's witness determines if we enter the fullness of life or if we remain in death. So, I mean, there's some good news and bad news here. When it comes to life in general, there's not a a lot of really defining moments and defining decisions you're going to make. There's a relatively small number. But there are some choices you're going to make in your life that have consequences that ripple out over your entire life. The good news is there's not terribly, terribly many of them, and a lot of those God's grace kind of intervenes in. The bad news is this, though. Most of those big decisions get made when you're young and inexperienced, when you're a teenager, when you're in college. You're making some of the decisions that will ripple out in the rest of your life. So let's just think about a couple of those really, really briefly, not going into them in too much depth, but you're going to make choices about do you... Sample and try drugs a little bit, right? Am I going to try it? Am I going to play with it? You're going to make choices about being physically intimate with somebody in high school or in college. And you're not going to know as much as you think you do, and I don't know as much as I think I do. You're not going to know the spiritual reasoning and gospel reasoning and the spiritual cost. You're not going to know the emotional toll. You're not going to know some of the physical consequences of that. You're going to make decisions about drinking beer or more and then sitting behind the wheel of a car and turning on the ignition and beginning to drive. You're going to make decisions like that. Or your friends are going to make decisions like that. 
And I would say the biggest decision you'll make in your life outside of following Jesus, you're going to make by the time you're probably 22, 24, 25 years old, who you're going to date and who you're going to marry. And it has such power to be blessing over the rest of your life. And it has such power to have hurtful consequences over the rest of your life. And you're going to make that decision while you're young, while you're inexperienced, while you don't know. And so I just, I just want to beg with you and I want to challenge you. God is good. Every one of his laws is an expression of his goodness for your life. Every one of his laws is meant to cause you maximum joy, not steal your joy from you. Every one of his laws and all of his wisdom is meant to maximize how you flourish in the world, not minimize it. I just want to beg you. Let other people look into your relationships. Let your friends, if they're red flags they see, you should listen to them. Let godly older people look in on it. But here's the thing as we think about those decisions. Do we have any shortage of evidence that drunk driving has destructive consequences? No, they used to put that wrecked car on that dare week in high school. They used to put that wrecked car in the front of the, in front of the school for our evidence. There's no lack of evidence that you may kill somebody. And yet some of us are going to choose to do it. In the face of evidence, we're going to do it. Some of your friends are going to choose to do it in the face of evidence. Do we know that there is a huge emotional toll and possibly a huge physical toll to having intimate relationships outside of marriage? Yes. There's no shortage of evidence. We're still going to do it. You see, even in your functional, practical, daily decisions, it's not an evidence problem. It's a blindness. It's a rebellion. It's a depravity problem. And certainly when it comes to following Jesus, life or death, it's not an evidence problem. It's not an evidence problem. It's a depravity problem. Nonetheless, John chooses to lay out the facts. And I am going to share the facts, and I am not ashamed of the facts because God wrote them down. I don't say this to scare you because I could not scare you into heaven if I told you the worst of stories about hell. And I wouldn't want to. That's not how conversion works. But the facts are the facts whether we believe them or not. The facts are the facts whether or not they are um, enough to win the argument for our hearts or not. John is going to give you the facts. If you know Jesus in a saving, believing way, life belongs to you with all of its fullness, with all of its eternality. And if you do not know Jesus, you live in death as an enemy of God, separated from him forever. And that's what he says in black and white words right here. So let's look at it as we wind this down. And he says, whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. What's he saying? There are historic evidence, support, historic witness external witnesses that God has given us. And when we believe in Jesus, those external witnesses become internal certainty. And so the historical facts given to us by the Spirit become the Spirit inside of us, sealing us for the day of redemption, declaring from inside the truth of Jesus, declaring from inside the beauty of Jesus, declaring from inside the majesty of Jesus. And so what is true about Him out there in history becomes true inside of us as our own in, internally we know by the Spirit who He is in all of His richness and fullness. He has this testimony inside of Himself now, not just outside of Himself. But then look at this. To disbelieve the testimony, 
Whoever does not believe God has made God a liar. Did you know? Okay, you read the words, right? Did you know if you reject Jesus, it is like walking up to God, sovereign creator of the universe, and saying, you are a liar. That's what he says, right? Whoever doesn't believe makes God a liar. What's his point? His point is that God has so clearly spoken, and God has so clearly acted, and God has so clearly shown his son, and God has so clearly borne witness to his son, that if you reject Jesus, the evidence is so overwhelming that what you have to do to reject Jesus is to look at the Father and say, you're a liar. All that's not true. You're not true. That's what he says. You make him a liar. But what is the testimony? Let's look at the content of the testimony. Content one, eternal life. What is the result of faith? What is the result of having Jesus, of of believing the testimony? Eternal life. What is the other one? This life is only in his son. That is the core tenet of the message that he's trying to get across. Eternal life belongs to those who belong to Jesus, who believe Jesus. So what is eternal life? Is it like clouds and harps and angels and in the future when I die, okay, that'll matter then? Uh Uh-uh. Eternal life is a quality of life for the present. It's right now. And so I live a time-bound existence apart from Christ in slavery to sin I meet Jesus and I am ejected out of a time existence and I am set free from sin. And I now live a God quality of life. In John 10, Jesus calls it abundant life, life to its fullness, life that looks like God's life, who the God, who God is the God of life. And so eternal life is rich, full, abundant, God kind of life that becomes true of us in part, and it will be ultimately true of us then. That's what happens when we believe in Jesus. That's the testimony. That's what he's saying. But this life is only in his son. It is inescapable. When you read your Bible, John says it, Paul says it, Jesus says it. Everyone that writes in the scriptures say it. Jesus is utterly exclusive. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus. I am the way. The way. The only way. I am the truth. The only truth. I am the life. The only life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. There is an utter exclusivity that it only comes by Jesus. You will not be saved by your good works. You will not be saved by your family history. You will not be saved by your church membership. You will not be saved by writing checks to the church. You will not be saved by being a good person. You will not be saved by being a good neighbor. You will not be saved by doing a bunch of moral stuff. You will not be saved because you think you can outperform good stuff from the bad stuff you do. It will never happen. There is only one way, and it is only through the Son of God, and that's good news. Because this exclusive salvation in Jesus alone isn't country club exclusive. It's not for just the rich. It's not for just the socially elite. It's not just for our kind of people. It is for all people. The Arabs of the Middle East have just as much access to this blood and this salvation, and this exclusivity of Christ as Americans do. They don't have the same functional access of the gospel, 
but his blood is just as open and just as sufficient and will save them just the same as it will save you. Pretty shocking, isn't it? It saves white and African-American the same way. It saves Asians and Hispanics the exact same way. It saves rich people and it saves poor people the exact same way. Any barrier you think you're going to throw up that we want to classify people by, his blood tears down and unites people by. It's an exclusive salvation that is open across all lines of race and ethnicity and all lines of economic statuses and all lines of country boundaries and all lines of religious distinctions. The blood of Jesus is offered freely to all. And then he he closes it really, really simple. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son is alive. Alive in God, alive to God. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You will live in death, separated from God forever. You are separated from God right now. See, death is a condition of being separated from God, whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual, whether it's you're still breathing or you're not breathing anymore. Death is the condition of being separated from God. And to not have Jesus is to be separated from God. To not have Jesus is to be separated from God. And so where do you stand with Jesus? Don't hide behind church. Don't hide behind the fig leaves of your good works. Don't hide behind your mom or your dad or your history or you grew up in church. What are you going to do with Jesus? The beauty, the majesty, the glory, the wonder, the perfections of Jesus. The saving, redeeming wonders of Jesus. What are you going to do with him? And if you have him, if you follow him, his life is meant to give you life today. The fullness of life right here, right now. Flourishing life. Fighting for joy life. And so to follow Jesus means he wants to capture your heart, win your affections, and give you a life that's really life. He wants you to live in the fullness of it. He doesn't want to live, you to live with the scraps off the table life. He wants you to live in the fullest, richest, most meaningful life that's really defined as life. That's what he desires for you. That's what he saved you for. Are you living in that? A couple practical things. We'll close. Believe and keep believing. You are saved by grace through faith. You want to know how you should live? By grace. Through faith. What do I do, God? Believe. What do I do, God? Throw yourself on grace. What do I do, God? Let the power of grace transform you. Believe and be saved. Have you met Jesus? Has he saved you? And if he has, live your life the same way you came to him. Totally lavished his grace upon you. Totally living by faith in his name. Second, give people Jesus, not church or religion. God, we're so bad at this, aren't we? You know, I'm all anticipating and I'm nervous and I'm talking to somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And man, I just know. I'm supposed to say something. Want to come to church with me? What if their history is church has been an abusive, horrible, destructive force in my life? No, I don't want your church. 
What if church represents segregation to them? What if church represents legalism to them? What if church represents abuse to them? Don't you want to come to church? A lot of baggage with that. I'm not saying you shouldn't invite people to church, please. Don't hear that. Just make sure you know enough before you do it. Okay? Not saying that. But what I'm saying is, when you give them church, you give them something beautiful, but you don't give them Jesus. When you give them religion, you know, you really should stop doing that because it's bad for you. Or you really should stop doing that. Can't you feel the bad consequences in your life? You really should stop. I don't want to stop. I like it. Give them Jesus. Give them the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. Give them Jesus and let the Holy Spirit show them Jesus. Don't give them something that's good but less than Jesus, that has the ability to be baggage for their lives. Third, life comes from seeing Jesus. If you want eternal life, put Jesus in front of your eyes as often as you can. If you want to live an eternal quality of life, have your friends put Jesus in front of your eyes as often as they can. Because it's Jesus who gives life. It's Jesus who gives life. And you know our missional ask over the past few months is going to be, have you identified two people that you're actively trying to serve in very tangible, Holy Spirit-driven ways with the goal that you will share the goodness of Jesus and ultimately the gospel of Jesus with them? Have you identified them? Have you begun practically finding ways to bless and serve and eat with them? That's our challenge to you. And it's not the challenge to just the teachers and just the deacons and just the pastor. It's the challenge to every single follower of Jesus that exists. Will you identify two people and begin to actively serve and try to share with them? Our lostness isn't an evidence problem, but there's plenty of evidence. To believe is to have life because it's to have Jesus, the author of life. What will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow. In the name of Jesus, we worship. In the name of Jesus, we have access to the throne of grace to find grace and help in our time of need. In the name of Jesus, we are accepted. In the name of Jesus, we are so dearly loved. In the name of Jesus, we are joint heirs with Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we belong, all that belongs to him belongs to us. In the name of Jesus, we are adopted. And in the name of Jesus, we will live forever with you in the place prepared by him. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that the name of Jesus would stand